Hello and welcome to Plotress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reading The Ruin of Evangeline Jones by Julia Bennett. This was published in 2020 and is the second book in the Hardcastle Inheritance series. Let's uh, read the jacket and then we'll get into the book. Alex Stanton just inherited a dukedom, but his true passion is uncovering charlatans and frauds wherever he finds them. Spiritualist and medium Evangeline Evie Jones is the biggest fake of all, and he's determined to expose her lies for all of London to see. Her prim manner and ladylike airs don't fool him. He sees the hunger beneath and recognizes a worthy opponent. He can't deny the dark undercurrents of lust between them. Evie worked her way up from the gutter, and she's not about to abandon the life she's built for fear of this aristocratic dilettante. She knows his type. She sees the attraction simmering beneath, beneath his animosity, and she knows how to use it to keep him off balance. They strike a bargain. He has one week to prove she's a fake. If he fails, he has to abandon all further attempts. If he succeeds, she'll not only retire, but make a public statement explaining all her tricks. Neither expects to find anything in common, not to mention anything to love in the other. Both are blindsided by the affinity and blossoming tenderness between them. But even if it were possible for a lowly charlatan to live happily ever after with a duke, more is going on than either suspects. Someone else has brought them together for a sinister purpose of his own. I I think it's a good jacket. I think it's not bad. It spoils a little more than I wish it did, but vaguely enough that it's fine. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, uh, it sets up their whole bargain thing, which is what, first two or three chapters? Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think it's a bad jacket. Totally fine. Yeah. So Duke, spiritualist, I don't know. I was into it. Well, and some of you may remember Alex appeared in the first book in this series when he rescued his sister, who he'd half-sister, who he'd never heard of before from a mental institution where she yes. had fallen in love with her doctor. Yes, that is correct. What book was that? The Madness of Miss Gray. So yes. that was that book. So this is the second book in the series. And we did meet Alex, uh, whose character continues. I, I do like when the character doesn't change too much. So he definitely was a similar character in the first, first book. Very um, cold and calculating and kind of removed from the rest of... The rest of, not just society, but, like, from other people in general. Look, his character was consistent between the two books, but I actually do think it was somewhat lacking. Oh, yeah. I wanted a little more from him, just in terms of his motivation. You know, you never really find out why he started focusing so obsessively on mediums. Like, he talks about what initially got him interested but I think especially knowing the state the dukedom's in, and I don't, like, I don't know, something was just missing from him for me. Okay. Not for me. <laughs> I liked Alex. <laughs> Alrighty, so as usual, we wrote our own summary trying to outdo the jacket with a random number we generated, and this week our random number was 31. 
I do you want me to start? It's funny because I think we talk about some similar things. All right, here's oh, mine. Okay. You know he's a sexual match when he thinks your resting bitch face is hot. You know he's a keeper when he still wants to kiss you after you vomit ectoplasm. Yes, we did touch on some of <laughs> themes. We did. We did. All right. So my 31 word summary. Duke, dedicated to exposing mediums, finds a photo of Evangeline exposed and her photographer sends him more exposures. Their chemistry is unthwarted by her projectile ectoplasm, but can they expose feelings? <laughs> the answer, everyone, is yes, they can. Yes, they can. They can. They do. So, so there are a lot of tropes in this. Like, mm-hmm. so many things. There are a lot. I think my favorite and the biggest one is that he has an impoverished dukedom. So he has to marry an heiress. This is all in the background. He hasn't identified an heiress that he has to marry. He just knows that in order to, you know, not be the a laughingstock duke and to, you know, maintain his estates, he's going to have to marry not for love, but for money. I love, I thought this book was really, really well done in this book. You never see him on the marriage mart. You never hear them discussing potential matches or young ladies. It's not about the potential heiress as a person. It's entirely about his feelings toward the dukedom and toward the mess his father left him. And I think the focus on that rather than the marriage mart was unique and really well done. I loved it, Lane. I agree with you. This was possibly my favorite part of the book. I I loved all the medium and spiritualism and all that stuff, but I I think my favorite part was how this trope was handled. I loved it. My favorite part of the book was Evie. I like Evie too a lot. (laughs) But it's also because, like, how does she handle this trope? The, The... they have anyway god okay well what are other tropes are in this book <laughs> there are so many so i'm just going to go over like some of the biggest ones that we talk about all the time really quickly she is a sad tragic orphan mm-hmm. like doesn't even remember her own real last name like that mm-hmm. level of sad tragic orphan he's a poor little rich boy bearing the sins of the father literally yes and he has a distant cousin who's in the line of succession but who ended up working for him Mm-hmm. I think we see all three of those all the time. All the time. Um, closely followed be I won't be my I won't eat I won't be your mistress, but I will sleep with you. <laughs> Amen. I love it. In this case, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yes, I liked it. <laughs> I think she has a very prototypical quirky best friend. I think the quirk the best friend has is not typical, but Mm -hmm. the concept of this like person who she shares her life with as her one weakness and it is her best female friend is something we've seen a couple times over. Yeah. We have the, we'll talk in the morning, but really they say goodbye because one of them is sneaking out. (laughs) I fucking love that especially when it's a sex scene as it is here so like one of the purse people is trying to like express goodbye in the sex and the other is like willfully ignorant of that fact 
Yes, I, I love it. I love it. I think that's why I love this book so much is they took some of my favorite tropes and just like did them so well. That's very nuanced. Well, and including some of our favorite tropes, there is carriage sex. Except carriage, carriage not white sex. You know we're going to talk about this a lot. So oh, we have a lot of thoughts about it. I have a lot of thoughts about it, Lane. I'm so excited to hear them all. And then, I mean, this is kind of a trope. It's the theme of so many romance novels, which is we're both wearing masks to protect our inner selves. Right. Like they're the only one who sees the other's real self. Mm-hmm. Very important. And that's that's what brings them together is they both notice that the other one has these hidden depths. And in her case, he may have discovered an item which reveals something she keeps hidden. <laughs> you mean you mean her boobs? <laughs> I do. <laughs> what <laughs> What is this item that he's found, Lane? It's a picture. So, he decides that she's the next person he's going to expose. So he starts doing reconnaissance as one does. And one of the first items he finds is a scandalous photograph that someone is claiming to be of her, but with a different name. And he's like obsessed with it. He's like, yes, this it's hot. She's like showing her boobs, but he's like, but she's looking at you with these, like cold eyes that that was what I was referring to with the resting bitch face and her hair is down and goodness knows that when a woman who always has a severe hairstyle finally lets down her hair all hell breaks loose mm-hmm. <laughs> and when he meets her for the first time he like goes to a seance and he meets her and he's like it is her I recognize those eyes anywhere it's basically just all about the eyeballs. It's it's all about the eyes. She she's like the proto. They don't. This is not written in the text. So Julia Bennett does not write this, um, which I love. But this is the prototypical. She's not beautiful, but her eyes. Yes. But it's not written, which means that I like it even better. She doesn't think about her looks because they don't matter to her. Yeah, she's like, my looks are, you know, as long as I'm a reasonably normal person, uh, that's that's all she needs, you know. Yeah. She doesn't want to scare anyone, <laughs> but she also doesn't want to be like the most attractive person ever either. She wants to be. Yep. She doesn't she does not have the ambition to be a medium she has a mentor who's pushed her to do it but what I love about her is she's like okay if I'm gonna be a medium I'm gonna be the best medium there is yes so I I like love that she's like okay fine you know what I'm gonna learn all these tricks and I'm gonna do them better than anyone else like no doing it by halves no uh, and I loved it. I loved all the spiritualist stuff. It made me think of Strong Poison. Remember the spiritualist subplot in that one? Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. Uh, so in 
in a different way. That one is like very sweet. It's Miss Clemson who goes and like does the investigation and she's a fraud for the for the higher good. <laughs> Miss Clemson fakes the seances so that she can, you know, get someone innocent out of jail. And Evie is she, Evie is out there to get money. She is yes. she is going to get money from people. <laughs> I did, you see several of these seances depicted in the book, mm-hmm. and all of them are a little different, and I thought the way she wielded them was very interesting, mm-hmm. though at times over the top, but not in a bad way. Yeah, I agree. I, that's one of the things I love about romance novels. You know, I love when they take it up a notch I I want my romance novel to be over the top and so it was perfect for me that Evie's uh seances and you know other performances let's call them performances right were over the top I thought it was great loved it well and I think one of the tropes at the core of this that is sort of so tropey we don't even talk about it is aristocratic man commoner woman mm-hmm one of the things I loved the most about this book is the way Evie both checked his privilege without delegitimizing his trauma. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I agree with you. I think Evie is a great character. I thought she's great. Understand why she's made all the life choices she has. I think it's also interesting to see a character who is so powerless by virtue of circumstance asserting her power mm-hmm. talk, really talk about that, that talk about that carriage sex scene that's one of the big things that fascinated about it okay we'll, we'll get <laughs> there. I, I, I have to bring it up here because that's I mean that's what we're talking about is mm-hmm. we'll get there but it, it has to do with like the power imbalance between them and how she does take power yes anyway, I love it not in a traditional like don't get me wrong I'm not saying I hate it when women take power back in traditionally feminine ways, right? Like, I'm not here to knock that. But I love that she entirely is playing by her own rules. Yeah. Yeah. I I liked it a lot. So Evie has got a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this mentor... He picked her out when she was, what, 10, 12? 12. 12. So he found her at a brothel. So Evie was not working at the, well, she was working at the brothel, but not as a sex worker. She was, like, cleaning floors. But she would have become a sex worker if she hadn't been removed from the the situation by her mentor. So she was rescued by this older, more powerful man when she was 12. And he basically raised her. And I I thought that the portrayal of their relationship was really nuanced and really good because Captain is this the guy who, who rescued her. He did rescue her and he did, you know, treat her in some ways like a daughter, like a child. Uh, he taught her a trade. He fed her. her her he and now he's stage managing her career and now she has some issues with him but how does it for me it was really interesting how she was rebelling against him but also still 
felt loyalty towards him. And this telegraphs a little bit into triggering content warnings, but I liked that the conflict between them started before the book did. So on page one, Evie is already apprehensive around Captain Newly um, compared to how she was growing up because of some behaviors she's seen from him and behaviors she's seen from him toward her. And I think that was a really smart choice. One, because I think the worst of his abuse didn't have to take place on the page. And two, because I think it it kind of would have, how do I put this? I think forcing the full dynamic of the shift in their relationship into the time frame of this book would have felt a little disingenuous and rushed. Whereby yes. starting starting her evolution of feelings toward him prior to the text made the gamut she ran in this book all the more believable. Yes. Well, and it also was really nice that it wasn't like, oh, through my love for Alex, I now have... I can now stand up for myself and now I can break away from this other guy. It it would have been replacing captain with a different man. Right. But that's not how it felt. Right. They're already in conflict when this book starts. Exactly. Which I think was, it was just a really great choice that said, just to continue on the captain front. So I did not understand his plan at all. Yeah. We're not going to spoil what his plan was, but right. that's partially because it it was very convoluted and like very long and confusing. And neither of us, I think, really 100% understood what the plan was. It was a long con that he could not have predicted. Yeah. Like it, it was it was a whole lot of coincidence that got to the plot of this story. And I just do not understand what the point of that all was supposed to be. And there's a couple of passing references to his past life that I think I was supposed to be picking up on something that I was just missing. We have said a thousand times and we'll continue to say that if you do the main couple right, like we really will forgive a whole lot in terms of the wider plot. That Mm -hmm. definitely applies here. I still think this book is worth reading, but I just want it to be said that the wider plot, especially where the captain is concerned, doesn't really make sense. Yeah. I will say, without spoiling it, I thought the ending of this book was very unique. Oh, my God. Lane, I loved the ending to this book. Well, I will tell you that the ending to this book had to resolve the whole my duchy will be ruined unless I marry an heiress, right? And in most books you read, I'm thinking off the off the top of my head, there's the the uh, A Kiss by Midnight by Eloisa James saying he meets this woman who doesn't fall in love and then he's like, okay, we can't get married and she leaves and he decides he's not going to marry an heiress. Instead, he's going to publish a book and it becomes a bestseller and he makes all this money. The bottom line is, my estate is in ruin and desperately needs money and I need to marry to solve the problem is usually found solved by one of the two people somehow coming into money. Oh, whether it's through inheritance or finding a treasure or she's a a secret heiress. Right. 
like bottom line is the usual resolution to the money is the obstacle plot is the two of them somehow finding money. Find some money, yeah. That is not the resolution to this book. I loved it. I loved it, it so much. There were parts of this ending that were very, very tropey and typical and predictable. And then what you thought was going to be a, they didn't realize how much they loved each other until there was a near-death experience, which is a trope that is here, ends up being something sort of different. I thought it was, there was just enough red herrings, too, about who, like, the real bad guy was that it kept uh-huh. you guessing about whether whether or not there'd be a miraculous solution, whether it was money or otherwise. Uh-huh. I really, like, I almost am tempted to go back and add another star to my rating because of the ending. Actually, I'm going to do it. The ending deserves it. This, this, she... Uh, this was it, it, I don't want to say genius because I don't want to like overhype it but it was yeah. we okay we have talked about how we love our tropes and what we love about it is what, the unique things that people can do with them and Julia Bennett really that I think yes you know like Yes, like we said, there's the there's the trope there. And not only that, like Lane said, there are like all these others. Then you're just experienced. There's the I'm gonna leave. We, you know, one of one of the parties is like, oh, I can't tell him that I'm leaving, you know, or her. Haha. <laughs> I'm gonna call that the goodbye fuck. The, the goodbye yeah. fuck. Yeah. Except the thing with that is you, it really does vary whether or not both parties know it is goodbye. That's true. Like there's a difference between. We have decided to make love for the last time together versus only one person knows it's the last time. Those are two yeah, different yes. tropes. I just want to make that clear. We the talked about secret. this. Oh my God, it was Sarah McLean's, one of the rules of Scoundrel's book. We had this exact discussion about like. We did. We, we also talked about it with Gregory's book, Gregory Bridgerton's book, On the Way to the Wedding. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, this is a trope that we have. We have known and loved for a very long time <laughs> if any listeners want to come up with nomenclature that distinguishes the different kinds of goodbye facts feel free to leave us a message on instagram well there was the the secret goodbye fuck but secret like i don't know i feel like there are better words out there we just can't find I, them i know i know but anyway guys just take it from us the ending to this book is like a plus plus would read again loved it uh, completely agree, but please note we're talking about the resolution of the love story, yes. not resolution of like the plot. The plot, which is correct, kind of confusing. Not gonna lie. Yeah, agreed. Uh, content warnings. So first, FYI, if you guys don't like vomit, be aware that there's some really gross vomit. It's 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 not actual vomit. It's ectoplasm that she pretends to vomit but it's gross it's a very gross scene um and then everything else i would say is just like more trigger warning than true content warning um he is a recovered alcoholic who was able to quit drinking cold turkey mm-hmm. which I- he, he glosses he glosses over it you know which yeah 
just putting it out there that it it seems like the way he presents it is a very easy and immediate recovery. Right. She, as we mentioned, did work in a brothel. And her best friend slash roommate is exchanging sex for favors. Mm-hmm. She's an actress, not she doesn't work in a brothel or anything, but she is being kept and she is consenting, but not enthusiastic about the fact that she has to do it. I mean, it's um, a transactional relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Evangeline is at one point physically abused. and. While, you know, we just praised her relationship with her mentor for its complexity, I will note that it is a little Stockholm-y. Yeah, and that his relationship no. with some of his other employees verges on it as well. I 100% agree. And I think that's why I thought it was so well done. It was, he hit me, but he has raised me. And I'm grateful to him for taking me away from other abuse. And, you know, how do I, and what do I do? this is a new facet to his personality, it's going to take me a second to process it because leaving him is a risk. Both because he is a dangerous man and because as she outlines so thoroughly to Alex, the options for a woman in her position are not numerous. And so it's less that she's unsure about what him hitting her means in regard to his character but more that it takes time for her to process what this new facet of his character means for her circumstances. Yes. Yeah. It's, I just think it's a very good depiction of a controlling abusive relationship, which means it could be very triggering. Yes, exactly. So I think it's uh, there uh, to me, there are a lot There's not a lot that I would characterize as offensive, but I do think there are a lot of trigger warnings in this book. Yeah. Okay. So this book is the sequel to The Madness of Miss Gray, which we found, unfortunately, kind of lacking in the sexiness department. This book is really sexy. At least I found it very sexy. I'm nodding. This is the podcast. This is the podcast. I'm nodding. (laughs) She also found it very sexy. Um, the carriage sex was really hot. I have never read a scene like it other than sweet in the book Sweetest Scoundrel that I really liked. Uh, I encourage you to check that one out, although maybe listen to our episode on that one, too, because there are a lot of trigger warnings in that book as well. Um, but basically, let me put it this way. In these carriage scenes, neither participant touches the other. Yes. I mean, I think they might kiss. They may kiss in, in this book, in The Ruin of Evangeline Jones, which they don't in Sweetest Scoundrel. But other than that, there's no contact between the two of them. And yet, it's, like, really sexy. Yes. Um, I know we talk a lot about unresolved sexual tension in this book. In general, on this podcast. And I think what worked really well in this book is it did take a while for them to have physical contact with one another beyond kissing. Mm. 
but between what they were picturing doing with one another and what they almost did or mimicked or did to themselves and the other's presence, like there was just crackling sexual tension on every single page. And so the moment that they both finally give in when both all their cards are on the table and they know where they both stand and it's sort of tragic, but they make the decision that, you know what, if I'm going to go down, we're doing this before we do. Yeah. So fucking good. Yeah. I will say too. So Alex has been kind of sexually obsessed with her ever since he got this dirty picture. Mm -hmm. And she, the fact that he has the dirty picture is not a secret for long, which is another, I think, very good choice on Julia Bennett's part. Like this, the, the, the secret dirty picture could have been, it could have been the, the conflict. I could see it being hey. the conflict in a worse book. Yeah. And she is um, taken aback. What's the word? Offended. Um, you know, she's she's very shocked and doesn't know how to react when she sees that he's got this picture. And not only that, he's like carrying it around with him because... You know, when you have a dirty pornographic picture, why not carry it in your pocket so you can check it out whenever you want, right? But what happens after she finds that he has it? So she feels demeaned. That I think that's the word I'm looking for. She feels demeaned on one level. But what I loved about it, and this is what we were talking about earlier in the podcast, is that she then takes it and she turns it around and turns it into this moment for her that's really kind of a very empowering moment, mm-hmm. which I really thought was very cool and also very sexy. Yeah, so he doesn't intend to tell her he's in possession of the picture. Mm-hmm. She finds out by accident on his part. And prior to this moment, she'd been under the impression that every copy had been thoroughly destroyed. So she's shocked it still exists. She's shocked he has it in his possession. She's shocked he is carrying it with him. She's shocked it looks so well-thumbed. <laughs> right. She's like, hmm, this picture doesn't look like it just, you know, you just found it. And was like, we're like, is this the same woman? <laughs> no. And she's torn, too, between, like, were you intending to use it? Like, Please explain to me why it is on your person. Right. She's like, in which way were you going to use this? Were you going to expose me to the press or were you just going to use this in a personal manner? (laughs) It is so good. I, I loved it. And this scene, too, could have been really out of place or really confusing or really implausible. I found that the way that it went down... I I like I loved every single part of it, honestly, Lane. Honestly, my favorite part of it was her goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> yes. These are both characters who really get a kick out of maintaining composure in un in like discomposed situations, especially when they've left the other speechless. Mm-hmm. And her like flounce out of that carriage is so good. <laughs> Like, oh, I'm home. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So then after that, 
it takes a very long time, as Lane said, for them to get back in a similar position. But when they do, it is uh, very hot. I will, we have talked about how we both love the books where the woman is sort of the, the fantasy for the man, right? Where she is uh, absolutely his type and she's getting ready for the night and she deliberately makes herself look the way she looked like in the photo. <laughs> and I uh, kind of love that. She's basically like, yeah, I know I'm your type and I'm going to like play it up. And he comes in and he's like, whoa, you know, he is rendered speechless by her looks on a couple of occasions. And it's just very good. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked. I complain a lot when the characters aren't on the same page. And for all that I just said, the sex is sort of tragic in the sense that they have made very clear where they stand and it is not being together. They've had that conversation. They agree they're on the same page other than one of the sex scenes happening when she's already made her plans to go and he isn't aware that she's booked the ticket. There's secret goodbye sex. Yeah. But like he doesn't think they're going to be together forever. Like he's, he knows she's leaving soon. I, I like how, not just consensual the act of sex is, but the fact that they're communicating their intent and their regret. Like, talk about sex where the two people are on the same page. Mm-hmm. Even without it being happy and, like, resolution-filled, there's not any lingering secrets. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, Lane, can I tell you their conversation about why she won't be his mistress is so good. I loved it so much because it wasn't like it, it wasn't like I value myself more than to be your mistress. It wasn't that at all. She basically was like, look, I get that I can't marry you. You're a duke. I'm a medium like that would be crazy. She's like, but I'm not going to share you with anyone. <laughs> And he's like, no, 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 I wouldn't share you either. I would, I just marry this heiress and she would know she would want to be a duchess. And she's like, yeah, but you would fuck her. And he's like, well, like maybe once. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I also, it's not going to happen. I also loved her being like, what if the shoe was on the other foot? What if I was had a husband who I'd have to have sex with just until I conceived? And he was like, I wouldn't like it. But if it meant we could be together and she like basically was like, yeah, fucking right. <laughs> I... God, I, it was so, it was just a really good conversation. This is another thing you will hear us harp on on this podcast is that we want the characters to talk to each other. Yes. And that's what did. They they really talked to each other. They expressed their issues. And this proves to you that like, okay, this conflict is so big that just talking it out isn't going to solve it. You know, well, but they, they're even this communicative when they're theoretically on different sides, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's coming to her with the express intent of exposing her as a fraud. She explains to him in very blunt terms what his attention to her likely means for her future. Mm-hmm. 
it's part of the reason I love that the, the stated conflict of this book that he's trying to expose her gets re- resolved relatively early in the text and they start working together. And yeah. as regular listeners will know, you and I both love when our hero and heroine are on the same team. Mm-hmm. But it's because they're open and honest and communicative, even when they're not just agreeing with the other. Absolutely. Like, seriously, A+. Plus. A+. Plus. Loved it. Uh, how did you, what did you think about her virginity and how that was handled, Lane? I know this is, can be a hot button topic for you. He was attracted to the fact that she was hypothetically potentially a virgin. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know for sure. He doesn't ask her about it. And even though he does think about it as an attractive thing, he questions it himself. Like, I didn't have a problem with the way any of that was handled. Her sexual history is very much her personal history Mm -hmm. in that it has largely been dictated by the captain. Mm Mm-hmm. And I do think an opportunity was missed to have her articulate her own feelings on her sexual history. Yeah. I'm usually very triggered by the sexualization of virginity and infantilizing women, and I don't think this book did that. And I don't think I have any questions in terms of her agency with Alex. But I do wish, other than the story about her having the naughty picture taken, we'd gotten any of her own insight towards sex and sexuality in her life prior to Alex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What'd you think? I, I thought it was, I just thought the way it was handled was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Again, this is, I think I like the reversal of expectation. Mm-hmm. I like how in a different book, it would have been like, oh, wow, she's a virgin. That means she can be a duchess. Like, uh, like it could be, you know, there could be another, There in a different book, it could be like, oh, she, the fact that she's a virgin means that she was pure. The fact that she's a virgin means that she held herself in a higher regard than other people, that kind of thing. And I've, I felt that that aspect of her virginity was handled fairly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I appreciated that a lot. But it's not, I think it's not as big of an issue for me as it is for you sometimes. I, yeah, I agree with what you've just said entirely. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think the fact that it wasn't just, like, she grew up in a brothel. Mm-hmm. She's lived her life on the streets under an assumed identity. She doesn't even know her real identity to an extent, like, the fact that she is or isn't a virgin has very little bearing on her suitability as a duchess. And I'm glad this didn't gloss over that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, basically I, I really, really liked this book a lot. I loved the spiritualism part. I loved Evie and I loved, I mean, I just thought it was very sexy. So for me, this, I thought this was a great one. I think this is definitely recommended. I think Meg's probably a little more into it than I am. I think so. But other than the minor critiques we've already stated, like I enjoyed this book. I thought parts of it really were innovative. Yes. 
I, and I, I thought, think it was really innovative. I think that's I think that's part of the reason I loved it so much. Uh, and I do think Evie is sort of a non-traditional heroine in a way that really appealed to me. Yeah. And not just because she's a medium. You know, no. we've, we've, there are plenty of books. There are actually tons of books with fake mediums as the uh, heroine. And al- although they are very interesting and in general are, are slightly less conventional than other romance heroines, I think Evie is even more so than than the usual. I will say, when you told me what this book was about, I was immediately reminded of Cat from the Amelia Peabody series, and having finished it, I feel that even more strongly. Mm-hmm. I think the only difference is Cat was also a mother, so she yeah, had the additional yeah. motivation of like, this isn't just about me. Right. But there is a character in the Amelia Peabody series, which I know we've talked about a couple of times on this podcast, who is conning her way through Egypt as a medium. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always really interested in these stories about women who find ways to survive. Yeah. Well, like what, what, prof- as Evie says, like what professions are open to you, you know, mm-hmm. especially and ones apparently that- being a medium was pretty lucrative. And it also didn't tie you to place. And it also, it had a degree of adaptability. Mm-hmm. I don't, I dig it. Yeah. Exactly. Like it. Anyway, you, so if you uh, enjoyed The Madness of Miss Gray, you should definitely keep going and read this. If you're interested in mediums and the occults, you should definitely read this. And if you're sort of ready for a historical romance novel that isn't balls soirees and everything gets magically wrapped up by finding a family diamonds type thing. Like this is definitely different and really, really cool. Yeah. And if you're enjoying our podcast, we'd love it if you would rate review, subscribe and follow us everywhere. Plotrist is present on the internet. So that's basically Instagram and Goodreads. Thank you so much for listening.